the Bandits keep their championship drought going. We'll create a theoretical 53-man roster for the one and only Buffalo Bills. And we'll run through some of the Sabres' worst draft picks of the last decade, and believe me, there are a lot, along with some hot takes, trivia, and more. This is the Buffalonian Podcast. All right, let's go. We are back with episode 13 of the Buffalonian Podcast. I'm Joe Kelly, and as always, I'm joined by Dom Lawson, Mike Marino, and we're going to get right into this devastating Bandits news. Unfortunate loss in Game 3. Had it in Buffalo. Had the chance. Couldn't capitalize. Watched it on TV. Unfortunately, wasn't at this one. Don't think I would have survived if I was at this one, honestly. I think it was a devastating, devastating loss, but... Dom, what are you thinking right now? What's going through your mind? It was tough to see the the ch- the trophy that the bands were chasing be lifted up on their home floor, but not by the bands by Colorado. It's tough after that Nick Nick Weiss. Am I saying that correctly? Yes. Nick Weiss speech after the first game. I thought, man, they've got it. They've got it. They've got the power. They're going in. Right mindset. Just to come out with absolutely nothing is, you know, it's tough. But you know, drafts their their drought's been going since since '08, and it continues. There's just no other way about it. It, it's a tough way to end the season. Yeah, remember you guys were saying how you know maybe they they blow it in Colorado so they can win it at home, and uh, I mean that strategy well, worked out real yeah, well. Look, at, look what happened. We didn't win at home. Well, you know they say you win some and you lose some, and we lost. We lost hard. It, it's just an incredibly tough loss. I mean, they lost ten to eight. Really, the final score was. I mean, technically a two goal deficit was probably the right loss because it was nine well, seven. As you nine seven, say. nine seven. The empty netter. The band scored with like six seconds to go, which is the definition of a garbage time goal so right and as you always say um a two two score lead in any sport is the most dangerous well and it was the most dangerous in this game because colorado was up seven to five at halftime and they proceeded to not score in the entire third period and not score until like four minutes into the fourth quarter so they had a good and if you take the time that they didn't score at the end of the first half they didn't score for like t- the middle 23 minutes of the game and in that in that time where the bands really need to take advantage of, they only scored two goals. Yeah, they didn't capitalize so, whatsoever. Yeah. yeah, I was current. I was at out to dinner with live music going, and they were showing it on the TV. I was just cheering at the most inappropriate times in like the middle of songs when they would score in the first half. It just wasn't a good look, especially for the outcome. You know, but well, what are you going to do? It's tough. Also, when they outshot they outshot Colorado sixty three to four. They did in game two too, which is like one of the wider. I mean, again, I'm not going to pretend to be a lacrosse expert. Expert, like I think all of us have no. just kind of gotten into this. this <laughs> Mike, can you agree yeah. we're not lacrosse oh, experts? No, not But by like any means. a sixteen shot difference is a pretty significant difference, I would say. So yeah, it just a lot of missed opportunities. They went, you know, it's the fact of the matter. The offense went cold at the they wrong sold. time. They sold. It seemed like throughout the entire finals, though, they had trouble scoring. Well, they scored fifteen in game one for the one goal win, and then they proceed to they don't. I mean, they scored sixteen goals combined the next two games. Yeah, and really fifteen because that sixteenth goal is just a cheese. Like, the game was over. So, for them to score as many goals as they did in Game 1 the rest of the series is just brutal. And I, I think I said this to Joe off-air. If if you would have told me Colorado, the next two games after leaving that game in Buffalo, scored a combined 21 goals, I thought for you they would bet all, your house that the Bands would win the championship. And, again, the offense just didn't, didn't get it done. And 
the drought continues. Yep, continues. So, so I think the, I think the question that I think is interesting to ask for I mean Joe and I actually have game experiences. Would you rather be at the game or be at or watch on TV? And I think for me, it, I think the game experience is better than TV experience. I think it's cool to hear the chants on TV. I thought that was pretty unique. I thought it was right. also unique hearing, I guess, the commentary as well, because I think you learn a lot as well that way. Yeah, because there's a lot more analytics on the TV broadcast. Yeah, without analysis. Yeah. But I would say it's I mean, it's just cooler to be like there and screaming your head off. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's video evidence of me yelling at people, I've got your number, I'm coming for you, you, you see ya, you know, and it's just not being able to do that. I think, you know... Normally, any game we've gone to, whether it be Sabres or Bills, they've sold. Monday night against the Patriots, first time around, sold. Oh, home opener. Yeah, home opener, against sold against Pittsburgh. Um, any Sabres game. Any Sabres game we've gone to together, they've lost. There's not been Even one Even the win. preseason. Even the preseason game, exactly. The Bandits was the first game in KeyBank that we've been to together that there's actually been a win. And it, honestly... Maybe we're the jinx not being there this time. I don't know. I, that's that's how you got to think. It's superstitious, I know. But well, I think I mean, it's interesting that I think lacrosse is one of those sports. That I think I just rather be at. I think football is a little different. Football sometimes being there. I mean, the weather is always terrible, and also the realization, especially as a kid, that there isn't a yellow line for the first down when you're at the game was so pretty uh <laughs> pretty mind blowing thing. Sometimes it's it's better to be watching you know football from TV instead of actually there but i like I think, a good sunday with a pizza and some wings honestly i yeah. mean that's just how it is i know like obviously box across it's different from regular lacrosse right box across is more similar to hockey and this is a hockey market so you know we're more catered to that type of atmosphere that type of game so i think that's one of the reasons why we prefer to be there compared to watching it at tv just because we're so used to you know when we were younger we were probably too young but that's when the sabers were very good and actually stanley cup contenders and you know, you hear about that atmosphere being nuts, like those former players talking about how great it was to play here. Right, Ryan I think Miller that's, even saying that. Yeah, I yeah. think that's the way it was for the Bandits during this run. Absolutely. And, you know, talking a little bit about the drought, I mean, I think we're one of four or five cities that have that have a team that's played in the NFL and NHL and haven't won a cup or a Lombardi, either one. So uh, you know, that's some pretty... Fantastic news! Obviously, the Bills won AFL championships in the mid '60s, so I that's guess, too far. That, I don't, even know, I don't yeah. even know if that really counts. Like, no. I don't think anyone's you know excited about that. And obviously, you know the bands. Yeah, yeah, they've won four, but now it's been three straight finals appearances where they've fallen short, and they haven't won you know a title in 14 years. So, I mean, I think cursed is a pretty like pretty good. Good term Word at this to use. point, yeah, because, for, for Buffalo. Because if not now, when with the Bins? They had the best record in the league at 14-4 in the regular season. They were undefeated through the playoffs, when going up 1-0 in the series. They had home floor advantage. Uh, and two the top two scores for Colorado, Ryan Lee and Eli McLaughlin, were both out. So, um, yeah. if not, it's yeah, kind of yeah, like... It was pretty a, set up. Yeah. It was a layup at that point. Yeah. And they, just, and they it, scored yeah. 21 goals in two games, and you had you know, one of the best offenses in the league. It, it just kind of feels like you yeah. had to win that It's a one. fraudulent, you know, it's a fraudulent title. And honestly, what... Credit to Colorado, though. Credit to Colorado. Like, credit for team. not giving up. They're credit for not team. giving up. No, like, like, you can't discredit them. They did play... They outplayed us to, for... Honestly, that first game was pretty close. I would still say they played pretty on par with they, us. They had a very good game plan. We just had a good lot. transition player come flying in at the last 30 seconds. Well, they had a very good game plan of keeping everything to the outside, letting their star goalie, Dylan Ward, deal with everything, and keeping you know the bands at bay. And Credit to them. Um, 
this one probably is going to hurt for a while, especially because I think everyone thought Banner was going to be raised in KeyBank, and, uh, well, I guess we're going to continue, <laughs> no, no, continue no, to wait for that wait, one. Yeah. We're going to wait a little bit longer. Yeah. I mean, I definitely will be attending more Bandits games next year, though. It's definitely an experience I would like to, you know, go through again. So. I do want to, like, have a quick season, I guess, you know, look back at recap. recap of just, like, I, I don't think either of us have ever really been... Solely interested in the band, other so than probably reading the box score. The yeah, I just news. I see it at, after the game. I'm like, oh, the bandits are you know they're in the finals mm-hmm. like, the past couple times, you know, and I've never never's been a win. I'm, but I mean, again, I haven't been to a band's game in six years, and uh, that this season was my this postseason was my first ever. So so I think I think we I mean I guess Joe and I could say because Mike hasn't still hasn't been, but he'll probably come next year. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll, we'll see if I get a ticket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll see if I mean he did get the, he did get the invite. So what am I, what am I saying? Um, yeah, while you're pulling out of the driveway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. a little late, That's but tough. Yeah. Again, I think it's definitely changed my perspective on the bandits throughout this year as a as a very fun atmosphere to go to, and hopefully. You know, I would sum it up as a Bills game inside of KeyBank. Yeah, hopefully hopefully the Sabres get to that level um, of winning, playing in playoff games in KeyBank and having that atmosphere. Right. Just say the uh, the old uh, Field of Dreams, if you build it, they will come. Exact Kevin Costner, what a great, great film. What a, what a way to end the segment, too. I know, what I a, know. That was beautiful. Yeah, that being said, we're going we're gonna to move on to our next topic. We'll be back with more of the Buffalonian podcast right after this. Here at the Buffalonian Podcast, we are looking for sponsorships to take our podcast to the next level. If you are at all interested, feel free to DM us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter and let us know. Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome back to the Buffalonian Podcast. The Bills haven't had a lot of news recently, so we're going to go into more of a hypothetical this week, if you will. We're going to create our 53-man roster for the 2022 NFL season for yours truly, Buffalo Bills, but... We're going to break it up into two pods. So this week we're going to start off with the offense. And next week we will continue with the defense. We're going to basically go through who's cut, practice squad, and who returns to the field to see the turf of New Era Field. Actually, Highmark Stadium. Sorry about that, guys. I I was stuck in in 2018 there. I apologize. It's all right. Everybody makes mistakes. Everybody has those days. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sorry about that. So we're going to go right into it with the quarterback and I don't think there's a question here. I think Josh Allen's walking. I think he's going somewhere else. 100%. 100%. He's gone. Matt Barkley's our starter. No, I'm just Josh and you guys, literally. Josh Allen's our starter. And if anyone has an issue with him, you can personally take it up with me because he's the best thing to happen to this team in a long time. Maybe and ever. Ever. You know, I think he overshadows Jim Kelly by a long shot at this point. He's he is Buffalo. You think about even Ryan Fitzpatrick credited him with this. He is Buffalo. Well, just remember, Jim Kelly initially never wanted to play here. Houston no, Gamblers. He stayed, yeah, he stayed in Houston. Like, yeah. So it's just it's interesting. The obviously quarterback, the most probably important position in all of sports, not just football. Why they're the most paid? Yeah, they have, paid. they have the most important player in probably maybe the league, and Josh Allen does. His, you know, more for any team than he does for the Bills. So. Except he can't golf. We found that out. Yeah, Found that off. But obviously having Josh is important. Trading for Case Keenum is important. He got out of that problem. And That's my Browns, question. So. That's my question to you guys. Yeah, first of all, the Browns. Yeah, he's he's out of there. But how do you feel him versus Trubitsky? Well, first, Keenum did say he's glad that a team wanted him. So good for him. Uh, Keenum, I think he's a little bit of a downgrade because I don't think he'll ever, again, probably be a starting quarterback. Right. Um, obviously was kind of a reclamation project of he could be a starter again. I mean, you look at it, though, if he does have to come into the game, 
wasn't there a miracle he pulled with Stefan Diggs? So he's yeah. got some chemistry there. So, I mean, you got, you got to think about it that way, right? I True. Mean, <laughs> I mean, I think just overall Trubisky was more of a comparable to Josh Allen. He fit the scheme. Yeah, being able to uh, use his athleticism uh, to create plays. So right. that's like what we wanted. But we knew going in he was just going to be a one-year, maybe a second-year guy to have just because he was trying to redeem himself from Chicago. I hope he gets a shot at a starter over in Pittsburgh, though, but I think Pickett's going to take it from him deep down. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Again, Keenum, I think, is a slight downgrade, but he's still a veteran in the room, no, has played a lot. Would be still, reliable. Would be he still can come solid. in and win a game solid, like, I yeah, feel like. If you, know? you need him to start the game, hopefully that never really happens other than if it's week 18 and the, you know, the stars are resting. But yeah. I, I mean, think he's reliable. Barkley, um... He's just the... Poncho swinging hype man. He'll be the will. he'll be like the practice squad emergency Barkley, yeah. Barkley is the Davis Webber this year of just being a practice squad guy, hype man as you said. Yeah, best friends with Josh, good locker room guy to have. Obviously, we went to the softball game. He was pretty electric. Yeah, so. he's he's a good team member for sure. He's always there to hype you up when you're not feeling it. You know, he, he's Josh's biggest fanatic, if you will. He he loves him. Um, I just I. There's no, there's no Jake Fromm this no. year, so it's, I think the quarterback room just kind of. It's it very shrunk. easy to predict. It's very easy, but it, it you know it's it's nothing too bad. So that moves us into running backs. Yeah. What do you what are you thinking with this? I I think Zach Moss becomes a fullback or he walks. I think there are four running backs that make the team: Devin Singletary, mm-hmm. James Cook, Tywan Jones, who's fully special teams, and Zach Moss. Mine's the same. Only mine is uh, Moss is gone. And I'm. Using Duke Johnson, I don't think Duke I realize Johnson they're all team. kind of the same, right? But I think the offense we're going to run, they're going to be fine with just having all those guys. That's also something though. Like, I wonder how Dorsey's going to change what Dable. Is I mean, running. we've seen in the past like Josh Allen's kind of been our our power runner yeah. anyway, and I don't think Zach Moss has really shown that when he gets the opportunity, he's really taking advantage of being that power runner. So I think I'm completely fine with having Singletary Cook. Johnson be like that more receiving, elusive back type. Right. I don't, obviously, Taiwan Jones is just special team. I don't think Duke Johnson makes the roster because I think James Cook made him expendable because he kind of just took his position of the receiving back and escalated yeah. it a lot. Also, I think uh, it's just a fact. Like, Zach Moss was drafted by this regime. If they're going to cut one, they're probably going to cut the guy that's just a one-year free agent. Uh, I don't know. I think he can be on the practice squad, so maybe Duke Johnson makes it there. I just think they're going to keep Zach Moss around just as a net. It's kind of like, to me, if when we talk about the offensive line of Cody Ford, I just think he has so much draft value of getting drafted in the third round that I don't think they're going to get rid of him. Right, and honestly, Dables, he drove me nuts last year because it was legitimately, oh, Zach Moss, we're going to try and pound you up the middle three times, and then we're going to have Josh run on fourth and two. He didn't actually have like a running scheme that was working. And he wasn't like attempting to change it at all. He just started using Josh Allen. Well, Josh Allen is such a big body to be able to go up the middle there. Zach right. Ross, you know, he's you big, s- but he's not six feet tall. Exactly. In Singletary, they finally started using the right way. Is that shifty outside running back instead yeah. of pounding it up the middle. And he had a fantastic end of his season. You yeah, know, it yeah. just that's the way it's got to go. We I don't think. have that physical specimen like uh, no. Derrick Henry. Well, you don't have a downhill runner either like Fred Jackson anymore. No. They're it, all shifty it, guys. It's just the fact that the Bills would get average to maybe above average running back play. Nothing more. No. I could the running see back is the quarterback. Singletary is average at best. Yeah. Cook is just a rookie, but I think he'll make a mark as a, more of a passer than a rusher. Moss is just Moss at this point. And Tywan Jones is a special teamer. So, again, yeah. they're going to get average yeah. to maybe slightly above average running back play, which 
is a little bit unfortunate because you don't want Allen taking all those hits, but it's what it's the it's what they got. Yeah, I felt more comfortable with him taking hits with Trubisky, but it's you know you got to keep him healthy. Can't overuse him. So you know, transitioning from the running back position to the wide receiver position, I have seven guys making the team. When I was doing my fifty-three, I th- I had six, and then I had a couple extra spots, so then I put it in a seventh. So. For me, I think it's clear that Diggs, Davis, Crowder, Shakir, and McKenzie are, I would consider to be locked at this yeah. point. So that's five. Then I would just put, I think Kumaro is really important to the special teams, and I think he's a good locker room guy, so I would assume he'd probably make the team again. And then my seventh, if I had to, I'd put Marquez Stevenson, but I think that could also be a Tavon Austin for the, that, that to me is like the returner spot. Because mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to make McKenzie the returner. No. Like, maybe Shakir gets the reps. Maybe. They're not going to make Hyde. So I think like the seventh wide receiver will be a returner. So it's either going to be Stevenson or Austin for me. And then maybe Hodgins. He's probably competing of Kumaro for that six wide, six wide receiver slot, a.k.a. the touchdown Jesus blocking wide receiver yeah. and special teamer. Yeah, no, I mean, that's why we brought in Tavon Austin to compete with Stevenson. Because I think they want to shift away from McKenzie being a returner rather than Right. You know, making him that slot receiver that Cole Beasley was. Yeah, and honestly, I I really like the pickup of Jamison Crowder because he's he, underrated. He's underrated, and Beasley, I understand he had a rib issue. There was no yak with him last season. He would drop right to the ground as soon as he made a catch. Granted, he was the third down guy you went to, no matter what, but I think Crowder is going to help. And McKenzie, they'll get that yards after catch you need out of that slot gadget receiver, you know? Well, I think it's interesting. I think the NFL has shown you that they value Josh Allen more than his wide receivers in the aspect of Emmanuel Sanders has, isn't signed. And Cole Beasley, I mean, it's part of probably Cole Beasley isn't signed is because of his facts. You know, right, I stuff. mean, they let that but get at the into same it, time, but at the same time, he yeah. probably lost a step, and people don't value him as much as he thinks they should because people value what Josh Allen and Brian Dable the, you know, the offensive scheme and the quarterback play more than the receiver play. So I think that was an interesting you know thing to think about when you're looking at this roster from you know last year to this year is the reason why those wide receivers are gone is because even the other NFL teams aren't lining up to you know knocking on their door to sign them. They value Josh Allen and Dable, and hopefully Dorsey continues that. Yeah. No, and plus now we have Joe Brady too. So yeah. I know he was the offensive coordinator in Carolina. It wasn't. Didn't work out perfectly, but, you know, it was his first stint in the NFL because, you know, he was uh, part of that LSU Tigers team that was unstoppable in 2019. Right. My, my big question for the wide receiver room, over under 1,000 yards for Gabe Davis? I think over. I would take the over on that easy. Might be on our, our little gambling podcast, huh? Might have to make a stint I, about I, it I think it's close. I think a lot of people, I think he will break out, but I do believe that there's kind of a reason why he was the fourth wide receiver. I know a lot of people are like, oh, the coaching staff just didn't give him a chance, and when they did, he'd had, like, a couple games. that he Like, that Jets game in Week 18, I think he caught two balls on ten targets. Yeah. So I think a lot of people are overrating the Kansas City game just a tad. While I was impressed with that he caught four touchdowns, it was because they were trying, they doubled digs, and they took away Dawson Knox in the middle of the field. Yeah. And he was just kind of like the third option there. that was mm-hmm. that they were like we're gonna it was let either him or Emmanuel Sanders and he just happened to be on the field. Yeah, and they're gonna let that guy beat them, you know, that wide receiver position. So I I would say over, but slightly. I don't think it's like people are predicting. I see people on like Instagram predicting him like twelve hundred yards no, and ten no, touchdowns. No, 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 no. I think no. that's we're barely pushing a thousand. Yeah, I I'd think say. it's 
it, I think it's like more like the nine hundred uh, fringe a thousand range. Yeah. So I, 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 it's just an interesting thing. I to think talk you about. can get it because I think, like you said, there's going to be games where Diggs is double teamed and like he's the primary focus of the defense. That's going to put Davis open. I mean, look though, along with that, he may very well be double teamed this season though. Like if it, if Diggs isn't out there, you know, if they're rotating in and out, he's going to be the one double teamed after that playoff showing. Josh does a pretty good job of rotating the ball around. Obviously, he feeds Diggs a little bit, but after Diggs, he does a pretty good job. The, not, the secondary options, he, he does a good job of giving the ball. He's not Baker Mayfield right. force feeding Odell Beckham. No, yeah. he'll give. The, he'll, or his daddy's going to cry. He'll yeah. give. He'll give the Make running. He'll give the running back some touches, the tight ends some touches, the other wide receivers like <laughs> you know Beasley last year, this year Crowder, Shakir. Uh, and McKenzie, you know, he'll spread it around. So that's why I think spread the wealth. That's why I think maybe a thousand, maybe pushing just a little bit, because you know, there's all there's there's a lot of de- there's there a lot of depth. Guys. There's a lot of depth options for the Bills, but I I think overrated is how quality it is. I yeah. would say because a lot of people are like, oh, Gabe Davis, top twenty wide receiver, and it's like, eh, he's got he's Not still got yet. he's got to earn that stripe. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's it's interesting that the wide receiver room, while it's solid, is slightly overrated by most fans, I would I would say. Yeah, no, absolutely. I 100% agree. We do. It's nice to finally have some depth, though, even with the draft picks. Like, I'm excited to see how everyone turns out. But Davis, going as far to say is, you know, top in the NFL right now, you got to have more of a stunt in the more NFL More of a sample first. size, yeah. for sure. Okay, that's that, that transition to the other pass-catching uh, weapons, the tight ends. Um, I have four... Because I count Reggie Gilliam as a tight end, even though he's a fullback. Yeah. And I have, then after Gilliam, I have obviously Dawson Knox, O.J. Howard, Tommy Sweeney, and then I have a certain Texan a tight end named Jalen Wedemeyer on the go. practice squad. I agree with um, that. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm right there with you. Wedemeyer on the practice squad. I, I was right there. I mean, he showed at a and I might have some bias here. Might. But Your A.M. guy, A&M guy over here. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, he, he was very good with A&M. I think he was, uh, he was kind of a star for that team at sometimes. Uh there were other times where he might have been a little overrated. Uh, I know someone over here likes to bring up how bad he was in the combine. Um, Listen, when you score one out of ten in the athletic score, that's a pretty bad look. I, I think mean, that's about where we're going to be when we do our combine. Though. Okay, but we aren't athletes; like we're just regular. But I'm, I'm just saying. Shows. Yeah. I'm just saying that with a few years of development, another t- I think movie reference. Yep, he Dodge could ball. be he could be very good. Especially you don't know the future of. Dawson Knox because he's in the last year of his deal. You don't know the future of OJ Howard. He's just on a one-year deal, right? So maybe they better he, keep Dawson. Absolutely, he develop. It's a good move in the aspect of be undrafted. They don't have a guaranteed set starter for the long way, and he has a chance to make the roster. But for people to say he's obviously a guarantee to make the roster this year, I think that's pushing it. I know Tommy Sweeney struggled, but I think he's a good veteran locker room guy that the team likes. So he's I think, a third-string tight end. Yeah, that's what I would say. I, he stays on the team. He's that backup if you need him. He's more of a blocker, in my opinion. You know, he's a he's a blocking tight end, and he could be that receiving tight end if you need him in a pinch if someone's injured. But I think Howard and Knox are your two big receiving. That's tight why ends. that's why they added OJ Howard yeah. for a specific for, reason to yes. upgrade the type, the upgrade the backup position to yes. uh, Dawson Knox. Okay. And I think I Howard was overshadowed in Tampa Bay by Gronk and Cameron Bright and, and like some it, injuries. Yeah. yeah, and he had injury too. But whenever he was able to be showcased it was always oh we have Gronkowski now which who officially has retired from the NFL hopefully still might come back still he might come back but I I mean at least he's not retiring to avoid a trade to the Lions like last time who knows maybe he is yeah I mean I just find it interesting overall that uh you want to keep four tight ends putting Reggie Gillum as a as a tight end here just because I know um, I think Ken Dorsey wanted to do some more two tight end sets between Knox and Howard so now if there's injury we have the depth 
to repl- uh, replace them if there was, you know, a time where we needed them to Ab- step in. Absolutely. Especially with da- Dawson Knox. I mean, O.J. Howard has some injury concerns. Obviously, he tore his Achilles once. And, mm-hmm. you know, Dawson Knox broke his hand last year and missed two games. So. Still threw a touchdown Still with a broken touchdown, hand, but though. There's, and he's also, Electric. He's also had moments where he's been banged up a little bit. He was banged up before uh, OTAs this, this year, during OTAs, I should say. So yeah. he's definitely not, you know, the perfect healthy tight end all the time. So it's good to have some depth there. Let's transition to the final position. Um, we're just going to loop the offensive line all together, the guards, tackles, and centers. Um, the O-line. Mike, you know, I, I've been saying my number, saying my <laughs> players – I'm going to give you the the, the time shot. Go. Take it away, buddy. Come on. Yeah, no. He's got his list out. Spreading the wealth. I'm spreading Josh the wealth. Allen. Josh no, I mean, I think obviously the starters are pretty set in my opinion. We have Dawkins, you have Saffold, you have Morse, you have Bates, and you have Spencer Brown. That's what I have. Yeah, those, I those are my, that's my crew right there. Maybe the only there. one you could argue is that right guard spot. But yeah. Like, I think the consensus is Bates is probably going to be the starter. Mm-hmm. Um, then after that, it gets a little interesting for me because I have Questionberry as backup. Um, I have Tommy Doyle still as a backup. Um, I have Greg Manns. You know, oh, we big saw guy, him. big home run yeah, guy. Yeah, no, I have him staying on. And then, I mean, I was, I only had nine, so I said Ike Bacher. I know he's injured. He'd probably be on IR. Yeah, he'd probably be on yeah. IR. But if he wasn't injured, he would be my ninth. He'd I'm going to be honest. Who, 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 who would you replace Ike with? Honestly, the only one I was thinking was the... Greg Van Rotten, just because he has starting experience. Like, yeah. I know he's not the best. No, but he's had that yeah. play time before where he I, understands what's I going on. I know on. you might be thinking, like, why wouldn't you say Cody Ford? That's what I, I was, think Cody Ford, I, I think he's I, had three years. I don't think he's shown any, yeah, any signs he's got of no being, promise. I think being it, on I think it becomes the thing, again, with Moss of a second-round pick. I think there's a He's position. got more draft value than anything. Yeah, he has draft value. So, I mean, I might not have the same, and then I put Ford in for Bakker because I have Bakker and IR. Yeah. And then Luke Chenault, the sixth-round draft pick, I believe he was sixth-round. Can't yeah. remember if he was sixth or fifth. Uh, oh, I think of, you're correct. Out of yeah. uh the offensive tackle. I think he's going to be on the squad, practice squad, because um, I think he's competing with Tommy Doyle for a spot on the roster as the really raw, needs-to-develop offensive tackle, but we don't want to cut him. Because he could possibly I think, be picked up. I think the Bills are just super uh, paranoid that they're going to get another Wyatt Teller, where they pass up yeah. on the lineman too early, and now Wyatt Teller's one of the best guards in the league. So I think they're just going to try to hold on to these guys as long as they can, hope they develop. You know, they have a new offensive line coach this year, so see how they gel. Maybe Cody Ford plays That's better. That's the thing of Cody Ford. Yeah, maybe yeah. They, they see him develop, give him last year of his rookie deal, and then if they don't have to resign him, they don't resign him. I mean, yeah. And then Mans has has played center in the past, so I think he makes the roster as like the backup center. Uh, obviously, Cody Ford, I think, has the Wyatt Teller uh, syndrome. Uh, Questenberry is kind of a swing, the third tackle slash he could play inside as well. He was actually pretty productive last year for the Titans. And then obviously Doyle is the yeah the project the spot. the work in progress, if you will. So that's gonna wrap it up for our. 50, partial 53-man roster on the offensive side. I just want to bring up Mika Fitzpatrick's contract extension and how could this bring Rachel Bush, the Twitter warrior, out of hiding to try and get Jordan Poyer a new contract? How could it affect what happens? I don't think it does in a yeah, sense. I agree. Mika Fitzpatrick is, what, 25 years old in the prime of his career and still has, you know, another eight, seven years of prime playing. Yeah, and Poyer's a little on the Poyer's already side. 31 years old. Yeah. And, you know, he's looking for maybe, like, three years max. The, again, so, again, the Tyron Matthew deal of three years, $33 million, is right about where Poyer should be l- trying to land on. 
the Fitzpatrick deal doesn't do anything for me because again, he's he's in his mid twenties, players in his early thirties. There's a huge there's a five year there's gap. an age gap. Yeah, there's an age gap. That's the only thing hindering it, I feel like. The only person that like would be interested in Mika Fitzpatrick's deal is Duran James's agents, who's a safety out of the from you know, the Los Angeles Chargers. He might be able to try and look for something similar, but again, I mean, if Jordan Poirier wanted an $18.5 million contract extension, he's not getting with Buffalo. So, again, I think he's looking for more realistically max, probably 12. I do think he deserves, you know, he's a first-team All-Pro last year. I think he deserves a little bit of a contract bump. But yeah, he's made under he's made just under ten million dollars. So again, the eleven, eleven and a half to twelve range is right, right about right. Not long term though, because again, when we talked about our five year list, seeing who was on him and Hyde were not on any of our any of our lists. They're I don't think retired by that. They were point. retired by two that point. two to three year extension. Works I think fine. he'll finish his career here along with Micah Hyde. So I just I think he needs a little bit, but I think they're going to make him work. I don't see how you let him go and keep Hyde. They're, they're the, tandem. The reason why this is different. And this is important to understand is like the David and Juku contract, that was relevant to Dawson Knox because their ages are very similar. And they and this is Dawson Knox's right. first time trying to get paid. Same thing for Joku. Mika Fitzpatrick again is five years younger, younger than, than Jordan Poirier, so it's not the same as if Jordan Poirier was twenty six, yeah, this would be really relevant. Yeah. But he's not, he's thirty. So again. Another, you know, safety that gets a contract extension. You know, maybe Duran James is in the process of his, Jesse Bates. I don't think any of those guys' contracts are really relevant to the discussion we're having on Jordan Blair. No. no. I, I would agree. I mean, it's just an interesting tidbit of news to see, like, you know, because he's the highest-paid safety of all time now, isn't he? Yep. Yeah. So it's just, it's interesting. I think he deserves, do you think he deserves it, or is it? Yeah, he's all right. He's a solid safety. I mean, he's I a young guy, I so think he, definitely... a, he didn't have a great year last year, so... Um, kind of, hopefully maybe he can bounce back, but he's a good safety. He's done a lot. Obviously, he got straight from Miami to Pittsburgh, so you know, good. Happy that he's not in the division anymore. But so let, let's transition to another topic. Uh, Chris Sims, uh, NBC analyst, uh, finished his top forty QB countdown, and there is a familiar familiar uh, face at number one. Looks like the Bills logo, and his name is Josh Allen. Um, I know Chris Sims is a big advocate for Josh Allen. He is though. a big Bills. Big, 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 wow, this, this is a tongue twister. Big Bill supporter. <laughs> um, big Bill supporter, big Josh Allen guy. He's very supportive of him, even when he struggled. So, very happy to see him rank number one. It's the first time he said, I think he's been doing this list five to six years. It's the first time that neither Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers uh, top his list. Right. I mean, I don't know how you could argue with him, though, because you look at it, and if I'm correct, he came into the league drafted with a 52 percent completion or 56 yeah he was 56 percent 56 56 percent in college and look at him now yeah playing one of the greatest games ever televised of all time like he the guy is he's he's very much developed very much he's the dream project quarterback every team wants and that's why you have guys getting drafted like kenny pickett in my opinion even look at uh justin herbert he was the third quarterback off the board and there were questions about him yeah trey lance obviously um, miko who's that miko, bum malik willis obviously he fell a little bit but those are the guys that are more toolsy project guys but now daniel yeah, jones yeah daniel jones tall running quarterback he was he never he tripped himself he, up he didn't though, have so. an elite arm though but those like yeah no i like the trey lance comparison. trey lance yeah malik willis are the guys that are now being drafted because maybe they don't produce have the great stats in college, but they have the arm strength, the mobility. They believe, you know, if you get them under the right toolage, they're going to be elite. Yeah, think about you know Trey Lance is with Kyle Shanahan now. You got to think right. that he's going to be 
That's like probably one of the best offensive coaches. Is there any news on Garoppolo in that situation or no? He's no. They think not he's going to be cleared. traded. He's not cleared to uh, throw yet. I don't they think. think Lance is going to start. Garoppolo is going to be. Uh, I guess the only traded. yeah the only thing is if they don't get rid of Garoppolo, he's in the final year deal anyway. Well, right. Garoppolo ranks twentieth in uh, Sims list. I have the top twenty in front of me. I, I think another interesting conversation is how many quarterbacks in this list that the Bills actually are going to play. A lot. Uh, Josh Allen obviously is one. I mean, he's relevant. We're not gonna play him, duh. But <laughs> <laughs> Patrick Mahomes is two. Joe Burrow is four. Aaron Rodgers is five. Matt Stafford is six. Lamar Jackson is ten. Deshaun Watson is thirteen, but I don't think they're gonna play him because of all those allegations. Fifteen is Ryan Tannehill. Sixteen is Kirk Cousins. Seventeen is Baker Mayfield. Another kind of question mark. And then eighteen is Mac Jones, who they're gonna have to play, you know, twice. That's a lot of you know. That's quite a list of names, especially the top six. They play everyone except you know Herbert, so, right? And Herbert, we will most likely see in the postseason. Possible, yeah, possible postseason. We game. almost did this past season. If they beat the, if they tied, if they tied Vegas, which it almost it was looking like it for a minute. We it it was looking like that. If they tied them, we would have played the Chargers. Yeah, at home again. It's an inter. It's it's definitely an interesting conversation. With this list of, it's awesome that Allen's won. It's also like, wow, a lot of really good quarterbacks that the Bills are going to have to yeah. you know, be ready to play. Well, and also, just an update on the whole NFL, Deshaun Watson thing. They said that they're looking to indefinitely, sus- a, a large suspension for him. I saw that come out the other day. So I don't think he's put, I don't know how long the suspension will be, but I can probably. They, they just keep coming. I they, can, more civil suits keep rolling I in. I could probably guarantee that the, the Bills will not be playing Deshaun Watson this year. No. So and I think, it will, I don't you think know who will be playing? Jacoby Brissett. Yeah, because, I don't think Baker will play them either. No, so. they kind of they kind of closed the door on that one. Yeah, classic Browns. And now, yeah, the Browns, yeah. So, textbook. Again, Chris Sims, I think an interesting list. It's cool to see Allen above Mahomes. It's nice to see it, the Bills get some national attention. That's good. It's yes. been, be honestly, good in the media. Every, every commercial as a kid, it would be Patriots. It would be, you know, Green Bay. It would be everyone else. And now we're seeing Bills apparel on commercials. It's it's nice to see the attention finally on us. Because yes. it's deserved. Yeah. There's, there's more attention on the Bills because of what Bruce Smith did to uh, Tony Baselli. Oh, boy. Um... So Bruce Smith, obviously Hall of Fame defensive end for your Buffalo Bills, fan uh, favorite, fan favorite, most career sacks in NFL history, had two hundred. Uh, That's fa- still unbelievable. He faced off against Tony Baselli in the nineteen ninety six AFC Wild Card game, which the Bills got upset. I believe they lost thirty to twenty seven. And in that game, Baselli went head to head against him on thirty four forty three plays at one point, and only gave up two pressures and. A, Smith only finished with two pressures and three tackles. And what's relevant about that is that was one of Smith's two years as being, you know, defensive player of the year, had 13 and a half sacks in their regular season in 96. So he got completely shut down. And Bruce basically just went off on him being elected, Tony Baselli being elected in the Hall of Fame because he only spent seven years in the NFL, so short career, and that he was the left tackle, which would normally be the blind side uh for most quarterbacks, but the Jaguars did have Mark Brunel, who was a left-handed throwing quarterback and was also an incredibly mobile quarterback. Mm-hmm. So uh, Bruce Smith believes that helped Baselli. Also, he doesn't like that Baselli's a main thing of his Hall of Fame candidacy was that game against Bruce, and Bruce has, also, has been on record to say like other left tackles who aren't in the Hall of Fame have had good games against him. It just creates a bad precedent. At one aspect, yeah, you could agree with that, um, but Tony Baselli was really good for seven years. and Yeah, it shouldn't matter how long you play. If you're dominant for a short period of time, like truly at the top, then 
you should be recognized for it. Yeah, especially like seven years, I think is long enough. Obviously, if it was like three or four, yeah, I think he should yeah. get in. But like, are we gonna really tell me that Terrell Davis doesn't belong in National Football Hall of Fame, even though he was an MVP, ran for two thousand yards, was a super? I don't. He might have been a super. He, I think he was a Super Bowl MVP. There's a lot of guys that retired. Really. Yeah. You know, look at Barry Sanders. I mean, yeah. only I know he played ten years, but right, he could have kept going. Again, and at the same time, still barely hit double digits. I yeah. think. I think I agree with like you don't want to send a bad president, but I think Tony Basile is the wrong guy to go after, especially because he dominated. I mean, it just looks pretty petty. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, Even honestly, I don't think you can judge off of time spent because you could have a ex- you know an extravagant career in a short amount of time. I mean. But it, it is definitely a factor how long you play and how much you can achieve. Like all of these records, Tom Brady's making like oldest player in the you know what I mean? Like all that stuff. No one no one else is gonna be able to you know what I mean? Like Well it's like Eli Manning for me. Um Eli Manning is like top ten in passing yards, but does anyone really believe that Eli Manning was ever like the well, best quarterback? Was he ever the best quarterback in a single season ever in the NFL? That's the question. Well look no. at look at uh, Troy Aikman here. He never put up any great stats. I saw a thing where Tom Brady has more passing touchdowns since he's turned 40 than Troy Aikman had in his career. <laughs> I, I would the believe that. The thing saving Troy Aikman was that he, he had three Super Bowls. Like, two against if, us. He, if he didn't win any Super Bowls, is Troy Aikman really a Hall of Famer? Yeah, again, I think it's it's a relevant topic. Obviously, you don't want to get in a bad precedent, but again, Bruce Smith, even from a Bills fan's perspective, um, doesn't look fantastic in this little splat. No, I can see the pettiness of the comments, you know, but I mean... He definitely a guy he could get heated over. From, there's there's history there. I can understand it, but yeah. again, I, it's tough. It's not probably a tough thing for Bruce to talk about because he got dominated, and he's probably one of the reasons why the Bills lost. And that was Jim Kelly's last game, I believe, because I think he retired in '96. Yeah, yeah. Jim Kelly only had 11 year so, career, so yeah. and he's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. So it's an interesting talk about the Hall of Fame. Interesting to see a. Uh, you know, two, Unfortunately, two now Hall of Famers fight. You know, firing at each other, firing at each other a little bit. One of them being a Buffalo Bill. So, definitely an interesting to talk about. But that is the end for our Bills discussion. Pretty long day. You know, starting a new trend here at the Buffalonian. Oh yeah. And we are going to be back with some Buffalo Sabers talk right after this. Here at the Buffalonian podcast, we are looking for sponsorships to take our podcast to the next level. If you are at all interested, feel free to DM us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, and let us know. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the rest of the show. We're back with the Buffalo Indian Podcast, moving forward with our Buffalo Sabres talk, and we're going to wrap up our discussion about these player grades. So we have five more players to talk about. Got Zambius Gergensen, Cody Eakin, Kyle Poso, John Hayden, and Anders Bjork. So no, I guess, high-profile players here, but, you know, they still got graded. They still did something for the team this year. So, you know, what do you guys – we'll start – We'll start right off with Zemgus Gergens here. What are you guys thinking? I have him down as a C plus. Um, was... Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I thought we were saying our, our oh, grades. I no, 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 you go ahead. No, sorry. I give him a B minus. All right. What are you, Mike? Um, I was honestly going to say like that that C minus to D plus. Whoa. Well, I mean, I like Gergens as a player. I just think you know he spent too much time off the ice this year. I know he can't control the injuries, but you know yeah. it was just kind of. He was sidelined for a good portion. Yeah, being for, incredibly, for being an incredibly pro Gergensen's guy as you are, Mike, that was that took some guts. I, yeah, I, I, I mean, respect that. I applaud you. Yeah, <laughs> but again, he's a solid leader in the room. I think part of the reason why I put him a C plus is just because his leadership and always being a good source of leadership during the whole Eichel drama. I respect that. Got to respect that he's been here throughout the entire drought. Yeah, right. And you know he was very solid defensively, as he always usually is. 
Um, but he really struggled, again, offensively producing really any offense. Uh, 10 goals, 18 points, 56 games, which is just kind of meh. Yeah. Um, and a lot of those, like the 10 goals he shot, but there's really the goalies gave up, mostly were bad goals. They were softballs. They were meatballs yeah, flying through the net. Didn't have a very, didn't produce a lot of chances offensively. Uh, has one year left on his deal at just over two mil, so, you know, if the Sabres want to trade him next deadline, I think that's, you know, he's one of those guys that goes for, you know, a second or third round pick, surprisingly enough, because they could... 50% retain his salary to make it only a million dollars, and that's pretty affordable for a lot of contenders. And overall, he's just a... Comp- the, the definition, if you look up in the dictionary, what a replacement player is uh, for the NHL, Zemnis Gergensen's... Uh, an image of Zemnis Gergensen pops straight up. He's a definition of replaceable. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. I was teetering on C, C plus, B minus. I mean, it's pretty much the same thing if we're looking at letter grade. But... I mean, as you said, 56 games, 18 points to his name through the whole thing. It's just, honestly, with the him being on the bottom six, it was when he was on the ice, he he, he was, you know, the leadership guy for the, the bottom six. It, it was halfway decent, if you will. But nothing stellar, you know? Very Just a very solid player. Well, why did you grade him so low, Mike? Yeah, what, you know, what made I, you go I, D+. I plus? Bef- yeah, I know. I said before, like, the injury, it just kind of held him back for me plus um I think he's a solid fourth line player other than that I don't think he should be in any other role like he's obviously not he was a first round pick so I think at one point he was expected to be a top six player and like he made the all-star game he, he well yes he, he was an all-star at one point but mm-hmm. overall I think you know you were talking about replacement player I think he can be a replacement player I do love Zemgis Gergensen he's one of my favorite players on the team but at the end of the day you know it's kind of like, I yeah. feel like he's been here throughout the entire drought. Maybe he would benefit from a... Change scenery? Yeah. Has he, I, I'm going to ask a question here. Has he been very injury prone in his career or no? Not... Yeah, he had the... the I can't remember what year it was, two years ago. Or yeah, so like the one year he the entire he, year. He injured himself. Yeah, he like one year he missed hamstring. the entire year. I think it was the COVID year, if I'm not... Yeah. Might, no, I don't know if well, it was the COVID year. It was one of those... It was last of, year. Was it, like, okay, it was last year? I remember he I blew mean, out his like hamstring like in the one of the first weeks of training camp he blew it out. So yeah, he's one of those guys where he's the definition of replaceable, as I've said. And the only reason he made the All Star game was because his entire country voted for him. Yeah, that is accurate. Oh, it's yeah. not because of his ability. No, not because of no his ability backing. No. no. Yeah, I mean, I, he he's just he's just solid, and he's definition of replaceable. And he's also one of those guys where I don't like when people like say that he should be the fourth line center. I actually think that's too much for him. I think he should just stay on the wing. Um, and he'll be he'll be like above average defensively, but he won't be like elite defensively, which you probably would want in that checking role. So I think that's definitely a spot. He'll be on the team next year, but that's a spot after that year when his contract is up, a, a position where the, the Sabres should look to improve. So Yeah, and go- I mean, he found, just one more thing. I mean, he found his success really next to, Rasmus Asplund during the even strength and shorthand ice time this season in those eighteen or the fifty six games he played, you know. Yeah, ab- so. absolutely. He played very well with Asplund, as does a lot of people because Asplund's pretty solid. But another, you know, common line might as you say Kyle Poso. What? Let's you know, let's go around the table like we just did before grades. But this time, let's, let's start with Mike. Mike, uh, I'm giving the man a B. Ooh, a B. B, I gave him B, B plus. Yeah, I gave him an A. Um, another really just. A solid defensive forward, but this year actually broke. I mean, it's kind of weird to say he had a breakout Sabres year as his career in the Sabres, but I mean, he did. He tied his career high with 45 points, career high with the Sabres with 21 goals, 
Um, and this is a guy that last year had two goals and 13 points in 35 games. Kind of like the Jeff Skinner treatment was kind of just assumed to be washed. And for him to, you know, come back with a mid 40 point season, 20 goals, be a, still an effective, really good leader and an effective defensive player. Yeah, it's really nice. Honestly, his leadership carries that grade for me a lot. He he really, you know, the turmoil of that franchise as a whole—it's just detrimental. Like you start losing that much in a season, like for consistent amount of time like they, the Sabres have, it's just, you need a guy like that. He was the light at the end of the tunnel, and he put the team on his back in a lot of situations and led them, and, you know, his, he got him, he got, he, he rowdy, sorry, I'm having trouble speaking here, but he, he got him rowdy and got him riled up. You no, know? it's just, it's just funny to think how back in 2016, he was the top free agent available, because, mm-hmm. you know, you know, everyone rumored, oh, Stamkos, maybe he comes to Buffalo. So he, did get a bit, they, he did visit with the Sabres. Yeah, but I think everyone knew Stamkos wasn't leaving Tampa. No, that was just to get the money up. Yeah. And, correct me if I'm wrong here. He did get an award at the end of the season, correct? He got an award for the Sabres as... Just the Sabres award. The Rick Martin award of... He was in the running for um, Bill Masterson, I believe. Yeah, the Masterson. He was, like, the finalist for the team. The yeah. team's representative, as I should say. Like, for the Walter Payne Man of the, man yeah. Of the Year. yeah. Okay, but no, you gotta give him credit because I mean I thought his career was over when he was in the ICU. Oh yeah, years back. Mm-hmm. So I give him credit for sticking it out because we look at the contract and be like, oh my goodness, that's such a bad deal. But in reality, it's actually very beneficial to us because right. we're struggling to hit the cap floor right now. Yeah, I mean he's the guy you saw after every goal someone scored. He's going around patting him on the helmet. You know, just really he's he's an all around good guy I think, and that's someone you need out on your team. Again, his six as Mike alluded to, the six million dollars does help. You know the Sabers this season of making the cap floor, and also I think it's just it's it's reliable relatable to Skinner in the fact of if he was making three million dollars, everyone would talk about how great of a contract he is. Uh, he's obviously overpaid, but that doesn't make him a bad player per se. Yeah, and it's another I think it's another Gergensen situation where I, I mean I doubt they would trade him at the deadline because of his leadership, but if next deadline he wants to go to contender and they retain half his salary to make him th- a $3 million player, Getting trading a Kyle Poso if he has another season for $3 bucks to a contender, that can get, fetch you a, a nice um, nice little, nice nice little, little value. Yeah, a nice little pot of money, if you will. A nice little yeah. pot of money. So, <laughs> again, Gergensen's all right, solid. Oposo, really good season. And now we go to the cream of the crop, uh, Cody Eakin. Best uh, hair in the league, though. Uh, yes. I, I, when I was researching for this topic, I saw that. I was like... Absolutely electric. J- Joe, we'll start with you. What was your grade for Cody this, this season? I mean, I had him at a C+. Plus. C+. Plus. Mm-hmm. Well, I had a plus next to his grade as well. I had a D. I had, a, I had a F plus. The only F thing, plus. The only thing. I don't think it was that bad. Dude, he was the worst player the on only the team. He was the worst, but I don't think it's... No, no. Okay, maybe... Yeah, he, was, maybe yeah. he was one of the worst players in the entire National Hockey League. The only thing you can give him credit for is his face-off ability. He was Congrats. the best... He was the best player on the team in face Congratulations sort of. for having a nice head of hair and being halfway decent on face-offs. There anything, were times in overtime. Yeah. He would take the face-off in overtime, win it, and then just go right off. Anything, he only had 12 points the entire anything season. Anything <laughs> other than those two things, he was terrible. Yeah, yeah. And the only reason why I give Kevin Adams a pass on signing him is it seems like he was a Ralph Kruger guy. So... Do you think Adams gets a slight pass on that, but this is that was he was the worst player in the NHL for the two years of his contract with the Sabres. Thank do you God think there's gone. any wiggle? Oh, he's gone. No, dude. No, no, no. I'm not even entertaining the possibility that he's going back. 
No, yeah, he's just gone. If, he, if he's, he's gone. coming back, if he's coming back, we're doing a pod. I am doing a probably a fifteen minute rant. Of how you're gonna do a Hinnestrosa yeah. with me. You know, yeah. you well, this is justified. Though? He's actually bad. <laughs> no, you want to know something? You could bash him on how bad he is, like in the NHL. If he were to play like a bar league game, how oh. absolutely dominant, disgustingly good. Congratulations, you'd be good at bar. You're not good at. I'm just. Of I'm the just National saying. I'm just saying how you had to give. You know, he is a professional NHL player. Like you, you think. Oh, McDavid level and like McKinnon level, like it's he's still very good at what he does. He's just not at the tier we need him to be in the NHL. Yeah, no, he's done. He's he's just he's done. Fun fact though, Joe and I uh, went to the St. Louis Blues game in April and they lost six to two. That was Cody Eakin's final game before he got injured and never played again for the Buffalo Sabres. So, congrats to that Joe. We we saw Cody Eakin's final game. Yeah, buddy. In Sabres uniform. So, yeah. little fun fact. Well, what if he does come back? What are you gonna? You're, you said you're gonna have a podcast. What are you gonna even say? What are you gonna speak? I don't think you're gonna I, be you able what, to. You know what? I'm just not gonna speak that into existence anymore. I, I'm not gonna even, you know, preview what I would say because it would. I don't even know if I would say anything. I think I just bash my head against the wall. So let's. I'm gonna mix these last two guys up because they're kind of semi, you know, kind of irrelevant players. But whatever. Uh, John Hayden and Andrews Bjork. So Mike, uh, we'll we'll start with you this time. Uh, All right. What are your grades with these two players? I'll give him Bjork an F here. He was, he, I, I was hoping for the best for him. He's a young player, you know, new coach, you know, if he could buy in, but he didn't. He was scratched. When he did play, he really didn't show anything. He's buried in the, in the bottom six. He just didn't show any growth. And, you know, if, if Taylor Hall didn't have that no trade clause, we probably could have gotten something a little bit better from Boston. But he was never going to come to Buffalo if he didn't get that. No. What did you put for Hayden? Um... I'd give him like that 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 D minus D. The only the only thing I I give John Hayden credit for is um I do like the physical brand that he brings. <laughs> oh my god! I know I get I get bashed here for liking physical players and no great players. Bashed but no I don't. Ba- I'm no right there with you, pal. I, I like you. that he led the league in fights or led the team in fights. No one bashes you that you like physical players. I duct taped his name need, on the back of my. I think Jack you Huckle need bodyguard. Jersey. Does he have the ability? You know. Put the puck in the net or do offense? No. no. But that's not that's not his No, role. but you can't have a guy in this in this NHL that does that. You just can't have be a productive team and have a No, a guy I, like I that. do agree with you. I think they, they, okay, so they I, need players uh, you, that you, have more of an offensive playmaking standpoint. My point. So I don't bash you for the fact that you like John Hayden's physicality. I bash you because you think he's actually an NHL player that the Sabres should have on the on the actual roster, which no. Maybe you should have a skill set of physicality with an actual player that can actually play, like Pat Maroon. Yeah. Perfect example there. Um again, yeah, I gave an F for Bjork and a D minus for Hayden. Uh Hayden for us was a funny meme because we, you know, would make bets if my brother who has celiac to eat a Tim bit at the score to hat trick. He did score the one game we were at, so <laughs> that was kind of exciting. Um, maybe he's a decent player for Rochester as kind of a veteran player down there, but uh, just because you get, you know, have a lot of hits and you take a lot of penalty minutes doesn't mean you deserve to be on the team. Sorry, 84 penalty minutes in 55 games. Rob Ray, though, would be impressed. And then Bjork, just really disappointing. Uh, he had a pretty decent end of the year after being traded, and I think a lot of people were excited for him, and he just crapped the bed. Eight points in 58 games, and he has one year left on his contract, so he's either getting traded or they're going to wave him to Rochester, which may not be the worst for the team. So, again, uh, Joe, I'm sorry, I skipped you. I apologize. I mean, Oh, it's a D-minus, D-F, F, whatever. I think a D-minus is an F. I don't know if there is such thing. <laughs> it's just, like you said, you can't, you can't lead this team in, in fights and think you're going to earn yourself a spot, like, actually helping the team win. I get it. 
you know, I love to see a good duke out on the on the ice as much as anybody, but I, I just I can't get behind If you're getting killed on the ice when you're on the ice and you do one fight, that doesn't make you like worth you know, the the money you're making. No, but would I have his rather have his name on a fifteen than Jack Eichel's name? Yeah. So I you know, but nothing stellar, if you will. Both and, players are very very mid. I mean and yeah. Bjork. Uh, b- both players, though, are in fact better than Cody Eakin, though. That is, that is, yeah, yeah. I, I, can, I will say that. Both Statistically, players. yes, you could say that. Anything, yes. Anything, yes. But I mean, Bjork is still, uh, he's not anything special. 58 no. games and 8 points. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing, nothing too crazy going on here, so it's just, you know. Both are not good, but it was a fun little, you know, I'm trying to think, five to six weeks of us doing player grades, maybe even more than that. It was a fun little adventure to do for the Sabres, and we're now going to move on to a different uh, talking topic. Uh, obviously, the Colorado Avalanche are up two games to one as we're recording this podcast on the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Stanley Cup Finals, and they were the worst team in the National Hockey League in 2016-17, and now five years later are playing for a chance, two games away from you know winning a Stanley Cup. I think they might do it. They're they're my bet to win. I'm going to be honest. With no, you. they looked pretty good. The tough game last night, but I think they're going to bounce back. Obviously, the Sabres were the worst team in the NHL a season ago, not this season, but the season before that. Yeah. Um. So I just kind of want to talk about what the Avalanche did with their roster that was constructed at that time to get to where they are now, and what the Sabres need to do with the roster they had a you know roster they have now. I should say. What what do they need to do? If 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 I may, can I can I kick this off? Sure, sir. So the Avalanche they they gather people who were in their twenties pretty much at this point. They get people in in the core range. Yeah, the core range of you know twenty years old, and that's exactly what you want, and that's what I think this Kevin Adams has been trying to replicate. Um, we have a very young core of guys. I don't know if you guys heard this or not, but there is a possible trade looming, a rumor for Patrick Kane. It would be for a first and second round pick and Jack Quinn. No, that was worth it. That, so, the, so those were like rumored trades for Patrick Kane. The answer to that question is absolutely not. Um, <laughs> Didn't he want to finish his career here? He I'm might have. I mean, he, he's what two years away from unrestricted free agency or whatever. Yeah. He could do that. There. He would up the the age range. He would, he no, would up yeah, the he average. Would, you know how you were talking about the age stuff? Yeah, we got to keep yeah, it low. I don't yeah. know if that really no. fits your mold. Um, but I I like what you're talking about. How they added players for their core. You know, at the time when they were the worst team in the NHL, Nathan McKinnon, he only had 53 points in the whole 82-game season. He wasn't the heart guy we see now. A lot of its development as well. Miko Rantanen's on that team. Uh, Gabriel Landeskog. Uh, Eric Johnson's a solid defenseman. JT Comfort. You know, they had some pieces in order, but they had to make the right moves to add pieces and subtract some pieces. They had Matt Duchesne on that roster. They traded Matt Duchesne for the mother load. Uh, getting the fourth overall pick, which ended up being Bowen Byram. Obviously, them finishing worse in the NHL, unfortunately, they dropped a fourth overall, but they got Cal McCarr, who, as we're recording and looking around, just <laughs> won the Norris Trophy. Uh, maybe very similar to what the Sabres just did with home power. One can hope. Yes, um, and one got, can really hope. And then they also traded Tyson Berry, who was their number one defenseman for that season, for a guy in Nazem Kadri, who filled the second-line snow roll, just had an 87-point season, and is probably going to get, you know, paid in the offseason. So I think that's something that the Sabres have to look at. And they also, you know, again, good job developing, good job drafting, obviously, McCarr. Uh, and then the trades of Kadri. Uh, they also traded for Ryan Graves, who was a solid player. Devin Taze, Andre yeah, Burakovsky, Grubauer, when they had him, uh, Francois, 
I don't, uh, yeah, Francois, who was the backup goalie, and now they traded for Kemper after they let Grubauer go. And I think the the trend that you talked about is really important with the twenties. Is all those guys were in their mid twenties that got traded. You know, were RFAs and they went after them. You know, they traded two seconds for Devin Tays, who's now one of the best defense, who was one of the best undervalued. Right. Andre Barkowski, undervalued by Washington, they traded him. He's now a sixty-point guy. Valerie Nichushkin, you know, undervalued throughout the league with Dallas. Science of Colorado is now you know a hot commodity. They've done a good job of finding those diamonds in the rough per se, and actually making impacts through you know making smart RFA trades. That's something that the Sabres should look at. Yeah, no, I completely agree. You said it to uh, to perfection here, like. They they went to guys that uh, no one really thought were going to be like those contributors on a cup team. So right. who, I I guess I'm going to present a question here. Like, do you guys think what can Kevin Adams do in order to try to acquire players like that? Like between RFAs and maybe some free agents that'll be under the radar this year. I'll, I'll go. So I think well, first thing they need a draft well. If they're going to keep all three of their first round picks, they need to. And you know all those second round picks they have. They need to be able to draft well and develop, which is always key for any any organization. They also need to figure out. It's kind of important this year, maybe next year, to figure out what players are a part of the future and what players are not. Mm-hmm. You know, the Colorado did a good job of figuring out that Matt Duchesne not part of the future. Yeah, I get Matt Duchesne credit though. He had a pretty good year this year. Yeah, yeah, but they got no. He needed to go. No, he needed to go. He was yeah. a toxic locker room guy. Yeah. Jack like a little bit. Yep. <clears throat> Tyson. <laughs> Tyson Berry, one-way defenseman. Yeah, he put up 50 points, but they're like, honestly, we're not going to win a lot of him. Let's move him for an actual player. So it's kind of like, you know, with Victor Olofsson, is he a guy that is a part of the future or not? If not, he just had a career. Do they sell on him now? Right. If his value the highest? Uh, his value is high right now. I mean, you could you could definitely, you know, get something for him, but it's if you would... You personally, if you were Kevin Adams, do you see him as the future? No. No, and that's an yeah. important conversation to have. It's important to look at the roster they had just a season ago and look how much turnover they had. For, and a lot of positive happened. You know, Sam Reinhart was the leading scorer, then Olofsson, Darlene, Middlestat, Taylor Hall, they traded him. Riss Lyon traded. Jack Eichel traded. Tate Thompson broke out. Jeff Skinner bounced back. Montour got traded. Cousins is hopefully a stud. Rally Sheehan's gone. Oposo bounced back. Miller's going to be gone. Aspen solid. Eric Stahl got traded. Lazar got traded. <laughs> you know, I, I, I know I'm like rattling on and on, but there's been so much turnover, but there's been so much positive in just this last 12 months. It right. seems like the first time in a while there's been a solid calendar year for the organization. They draft Owen Power. That was the right decision. Other they tra- trade Eichel away for, for Tuck and Krebs. You they, know, they, like, it's like. They trade Eichel. Ristolainen and, and Reinhardt for the combined of Isaac Rosen, who's a solid prospect. We'll see what happens. Two second, other second round picks, sixteen and twenty eight in this year draft. A sixth round pick because that was Robert Haig, uh, Devin Levi, who's one of the top goaltender prospects now. Alex Tuck, who's a top six forward on a really good contract. Peyton Krebs, who's a solid, um, you know, solid prospect, kind of getting in that range as well. And then Olsen increasing his trade value. Quinn and Paterka taking those massive jumps. Drafting guys like Josh Bloom and Oliver Nadar, who had really good years in juniors, is going to make a big impact for them down the future. Tage breaking out, Cousins, you know, transitioning from winning under center. So a lot of positive that's happened. And I, I ask the question now: Is this the most important, you know, calendar year in the 21st century ever for the Sabers? Uh, Maybe at least the last 15 years. Yeah. yeah. Ever, uh, since uh, the drought era, I do believe this is very important because we're coming to the point where we're starting to get hope. We're starting to see a slight improvement, and we're starting to see, like, we've had in the past, we've tried with young players, but I think we've tried to force them in. 
it seems like our approach now is to let them go at their own pace. You know, Jack Quinn played, what, one game in the NHL this year? Yeah, and Pater- we were there for it. Yeah, Paterka played one game. Like, they were in the minors. Same with uh, Lucan. And- I know he was hurt a lot, but, you know, he played a little bit just because we had a bunch of injuries. But the main thing was that he plays in Rochester. And overall, like, we were very focused on player development rather than rushing these players in. Like, I, I will say Casey Milstead, I think, was a very good player prospect to have. Wrist line was also rushed. I, yeah. They were just rushed into the NHL and exactly. were not ready for the roles that they were put in. Um, but at the end of the day, like, I agree. We had to hit on these picks. I know we have a lot of them, but it doesn't mean we can afford to miss. No, know? and quantity, one, quantity does not mean quality. Exactly. Yeah, this isn't the Ryan O'Reilly trade. No, and I think one spot specifically that we really, really need something is a goal. We need an elite goaltender. Yeah. Because you have Craig Anderson, and then you've got... We, no, we haven't had elite goaltender since Ryan Miller. No. You hope Levi is that guy, but again, the Avs did a good job of trading for Grubauer's rights. He was a kind of an under undervalued guy as the backup in Washington behind Braden Hopi. They signed uh, Pavel Frascar, who's a solid backup. And obviously when Grubauer left, they traded for uh, Darcy Kemper, who's now their starting goaltender. So they did a good job of understanding how important that position was to get right, and they took assets and they went after it. That's what I think the Sabres have to do. I know it seems a little Tim Murray-ish, um, but you can't, I must say, don't sell the farm and trade all three first-round picks for people. But yeah. if someone's giving you, like... I think we've talked about this before. Give away one, maybe, or something. Maybe, but, you like, know? you have to be willing to part away with those extra second-round picks if you could get an RFA, like a Jesse Pulveyardi. Yeah, like, think about it. These picks aren't going to contribute for another two to three years and you know you see the mid-round picks don't contribute for three to four even maybe five years so if you can get a player that can contribute now we're trying to make a push to the playoffs now you know we've waited long enough like yeah pull the trigger this year's the year you like you said the 2020 what would it be 2022 calendar year 2021 22 22 12 months from now okay this is the most important because you're going to know what the three first-round picks are. Mm-hmm. You're going to know what happened with Fallen Power's first year. You're going to know if Cousins broke out. And you're going to know what happens if Krebs. Yeah. This Maybe is the most other moves. This is, I think this is the most important year because they got to have, you know, it's been a while since they've even had a positive year, as we said. Now can they do back-to-back positive years? Or are we going to do a positive than a negative? You don't. You can't go. You have to go move forward. Yeah. You have to, I think if, if, even main, if it's a little steady increase, like it might not be a huge jump, but you got to keep going, trending in the positive direction. I think the main thing is just buying into what Kevin Adams and Don Granato are doing. I don't think, it's like you know, we've seen, we've seen in the past how, Two years they get rid of a coach. Three years they get rid of a general manager. Like trust the process. I think you got to give Adams and Granado a few more years before you can really determine if you got to make that change. Honest, so far it doesn't look like it. They've done a pretty good it job. Looks, it looks solid for now. Very promising. But again, they have to understand. Don't be Tim Murray and be like, "Oh, this is the time to go for it and trade all your assets." Part way of some of the assets because you could you need, expendable assets. Part way. You need with. to figure out your core, and you need to figure out players that you're able to trade outside the core, and you need to figure out what you need to add to said core. You know, talk about the goaltender, talk about the right shot D-man, talk about maybe another top Darcy sport. Kemper is a free agent. All right. We're, I, don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't, do not do that. Um, all right. So we're going to transition. That was a very, very in-depth conversation, I would say. So let's transition. A lot of, po- you know, honestly, a lot of positive, and we are just going to go straight to a complete negative topic, which is, you know, talk about the Buffalo Sabres for you. Yeah. Uh, the worst draft picks in the drought area, which are, what we're going to do 2011 to 2021, um, I don't think any of us are going to talk from 2018 on. Uh, Jack Quinn's too early to talk about. 
uh, powers to really talk about. Cousins, I think, is still a solid draft pick. And same thing with Darlene. I don't think any of us are going to no. bash. You know, even also Rosen's too early to talk about. So those five first-round picks um, are too early. And also Ryan Johnson's also in that mix. I forgot about him. So six first-round picks. Those guys are off the board because it, it's just too early to talk about. But 2011 to 2017 is definitely a lot to talk about. Joe, I'll start with you. So I'm going to start in 2011. Uh, are we going to go round table here, or am I going to just read through? You could, you could, we'll round table. You do one round table. Okay, one. yeah. So I'm going to right off with 2011. Joe Armia, he, he expendable. He only played one game and he was used for a trade. Did nothing for the team. That, that that was a wasted pick, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely was a wasted pick, but it wasn't necessarily a wasted asset. Um, which is an that I can agree with. Which, so it's interesting to discuss because, like, we're going to probably talk in 2012 about Mikhail Gregorenko being a bad pick at 12, but then they used him in a trade for Ryan, the first Ryan Riley trade. That doesn't excuse that it was a bad pick, though. No. Just because you got, like, it's the same thing. Where, I guess I'm just going to, like, spoil the whole freaking just, yeah, segment. Yeah, just, just go through it. Spoil the whole segment. Alex Nylander. Just because you traded him for Honey Yokari, who, again, I'm not a huge fan of, but he's struggling, but it's still an asset. Just because you trade, made a good trade doesn't excuse. You know, excuse you. You mean the guy who got clout from his brother? Yeah, doesn't excuse you from the decision that you made at the time. So, note about about it. Armia not wasn't the best move at sixteen. That draft also wasn't great. Mm-mm. So it's hard. It's hard to completely fault them. Like, well, as I you know, spoil the entire segment. We'll see what. No, what I I, I kind of agree. Like, Grigorenko didn't fit with our team, but he got us um, Ryan O'Reilly. And yeah. when Ryan O'Reilly was acquired, you know, he was supposed to be the future. You know, maybe possible future captain of this team. Like, he was going to be a piece. Uh, same with Zadorov. Like, didn't work out here, but was a piece to trade. Um, just overall, Ristolainen, like, he was, he was, I guess, serviceable. I don't... I think early on he was better than later. I don't bash Ristolainen. I mean, obviously being an analytic guy, he was terrible. But um, I don't bash him so much because, one, is as we talked about, his development was rushed. And, mm-hmm. two... I'm not a complete, like, hindsight guy. Like, he was one of the top prospects in the draft. And yeah. drafting him at eight was actually, like, you know, we should talk about, like, the decision overall. But that thought process wasn't terrible. Like, no. that was actually a decent pick at the time. Yeah. No, I mean, just just overall, like, and then Reinhardt and Eichel. They're obviously good players, but just they Can't, were... He was a... Eichel was a cancer to, to the team. He needed yeah. to Eichel, get out of Eichel here. was the right pick at the time. I think anyone would have drafted Eichel in two overall right. still back. But, but again, But from said. here, Eichel would still be drafted second overall... Reinhardt would not. Reinhardt's also not a terrible pick because he's a solid top six forward, but yeah, also yeah. dry settle being. But as I, you said, hindsight twenty twenty though. Yeah. I think the main point I'm going to make here is that over the past decade, there's been very little depth to our drafts. We've not seen much contribution from mid to late round picks. Really, pretty much the only player that's made an impact was Victor Olsson in the seventh round. Yeah, like we really just haven't gotten value out of it. Like. 2016, you know, we got we got Brandon Hagel in the sixth round, but we never signed him. Yeah, and right. look at him kind now. I you know, that's another value pick we had, but we didn't see the value there. I think yeah. that's what's exciting about this organization. Like, I guess the Kevin Adams era. Um, I feel like his drafting is deeper. Because the third round It's the on, same thing you saw with Brandon Bean and the Bills, though. Yeah. Like, like the third round on, the Sabres have basically had, like, no one other than, as you said, like, Olofsson. And now seeing that they've been able to draft like Josh Bloom, Oliver Nadar, like they've been able to be productive in those rounds as well now, mm-hmm. is really important for the Sabres to build out the depth in the organization. Because, I mean, heck, you might not even, they might, those might not even play. Those guys could be trade pieces. But since you've been able to draft well and develop them well, people might be highly sought after them. So when you make a move for someone, you could use them as trade bait. 
Um, right. So One guy I want to potentially I want I want to bring up to you guys. 2017. I want to see what you guys had. I had Middlestat as my bust. Yeah. So I would say he just looks so promising. But that, as you said a couple pods ago, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong here, you can only use the lingering shoulder injury as an excuse for so long. Yeah. True. True. I think there's obviously the depth is an important conversation to have. But if we're talking about like first round picks, there are three years that are just really bad. Twelve. When they picked Gergensons and Gregorenko 12th and 14th with Andre Vasilevsky, Tom Mosa, and Tomas Schurl on the board, that's a br- those are brutal misses. Yeah, like you could say all you want about Gergensons, a solid player, dude's a fourth liner. Like he's not a first round pick. Yeah, that's a big miss. The middle step miss is a miss for now. Um, obviously he possibly could develop. Yeah, right. I think he got rushed because he can't. One, he had an all right college year that we overrate. We overrated at the time, and then he had like five points in six games in the back half of the one year, which then people were like, oh, trade O'Reilly because we had the number two centering middle stat. That was bad. Uh, so I think he got a little, a little screwed over. But also that draft isn't the best. Twenty seventeen, obviously Nick Suzuki might have been, I mean, not might have been, he would have been a better pick. But it's hard. That's a kind of a hindsight thing to be like, oh, they should, yeah, you because know, that draft was not very good. Obviously Jake Ottinger going in the first round. My dad's favorite player of all time. That's not Sabres. Um, he's a beast. But I would say if we were talking about a singular draft mistake, um, 2016 Alex Nylander. 100%. 16 draft was in yeah. Buffalo, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was. I think so. And I, I, just, I wasn't there, but people talk about how when they made that pick, the era of the entire building just came out. No, yeah. there was just too, too long of a time where we just did not hit on any draft picks. And, you know, it, it really did close our window super fast. Like, we had a Stanley Cup window there, and yeah. it just went away like that because we just didn't have the prospects coming in to replace the players that left. Well, it also comes down to the fact that it also hurts more that they were there's rumored to report that they're in between Nylander and Sergachev. Like, yeah. But, again, it comes down to the fact that they were not drafting Russians in this drought era. And because they weren't drafting Russians, they weren't going to draft the Russian on the board, the top Russian on the board, and Mikhail Sergachev, who's a top four D man for a Tampa team that's obviously gone to three straight Cup finals. And they're they're in the final. Right yeah, now? yeah. So, but just remember, he was also a trade because he was. By well, Montreal. I know he was. I know he was traded, but my point remains that if they weren't, you know, discriminating against Russians, he might have been on the team yeah. instead of Nylander. Everyone knew that it was a bad trade at pick at the time. It's like, oh, we picked Nylander over Sergachev, and yeah. also Charlie McAvoy and Jacob Chifrin on the board. So like three premium defenders that everyone was high on on that draft over Nylander were picked. It's just a brutal whiff. And yeah, they got a half cop out by Chicago being fools and trading them Yoki Haru. But then Yoki Haru's development is kind of screwed now where it's like, is, is that even a positive asset this time? Right. Um, so, it's just, it's very interesting to realize, like, they did not hit a lot of draft picks in this in this era. Even before. But I think it's also, I think it's interesting to think, like, Honestly, it makes you feel good about Kevin Adams and that I feel like most of their draft picks in the first round have been pretty good, his two drafts. You know, obviously power, again, I'm going to say this over and over, was not a slam dunk. Same thing with Jack Quinn. Those two guys were not slam dunk picks at the time. They was, those Both those picks got some heat, you know, from a, a various, you know, scouts and, you know, Buffalo fans, including myself. So right. credit, credit to them for nail. Uh, I mean, I'm... Maybe a little too mature, but seems to have nailed those picks to at least now they're oh, eight games. Owen Powers already made an impact on that team, and Jack Quinn was AHL Rookie of the Year. So again, I think while this is an incredibly negative topic, 
I think it's important to understand that all these picks are from like the 2016 era, like the Tim Murray. Also, Barrell wasn't a good depth drafter. I think it's incredibly positive that with Kevin Adams that he's getting the depth as Mike alluded to, but also making when he has a quality pick in the first round, he's also making a solid selection with those as well. Right. And one question I want to pose to you guys. What do the Sabres need to do to get an atmosphere back into the building of KeyBank like a Bandits game, like a Bills game? What are they missing, and what do they need to do to expand that and get that? Well, I'm just going to say it, Frank. They need to win. Like, no one's going to want to come see a team lose, you know? So it's been proven in years past that this is a hockey market. You know, people say, or even the owner said, it's a football market. You know, hockey's not number one. I think hockey... If the Sabres are good, it's going to be a sellout every time. Because I know I said this earlier in the podcast. Like, you see the guys from that 0506 team talking about when they were playing here how it was just remarkable, remarkable atmosphere. If we start winning, people will start showing up again. Like, the, it, we know the fans care because when Rick Jenneret had his last game, it was a sellout. Like, that was the place to be. Everyone came out to support him, knowing that how important he was to Buffalo. Uh, even when Jack Eichel came back, like we knew that was a very important game on the calendar for the Sabres because Jack Eichel was at one point our franchise pillar, expected to be the superstar player, and it didn't work out. So, you know, we're going to come back and show that we don't need you. And overall, it's just what what the Sabres need now is Rick Jenneret's gone. No one's going to care about Jack Eichel coming back anymore. No. Well, no, we, I still think they would. Not to the same extent as the no, first time No, it's not going to be that return game yeah. like it was. We even. need to start winning games, uh, presenting a good brand of hockey that's entertaining. They need to be consistent. Exactly. Because they've, they've gone on a couple streaks this season where they've won three games, four games in a row, and it's exciting to see them come back home after a road series. But then you you you, you go and they lose six to nothing. Like, yeah. It makes it's such a such an issue. Well, like, that's you, what happens when you have a young team. I right. Think I, that is also you know, something people need to consider, and I need to consider personally. But well, I don't know. winning cures all pain, so I think that is just number one on the bucket list. Two, I think, you know, Mike alluded to, of having a team, a hardworking team, you know, fighting for a specific goal. I think this year was just to get better overall, not necessarily make the playoffs. I think the fans really bought into that. Yeah. Now, not having the expectation to make the playoffs, but showing some. We almost did, too. That was the best part about it. I mean, it was not almost. I mean, there was we a lot of pace, shot. but. Um, I think it's also just showing another positive year, as we talked about, the first positive year in a while. First year that we're like, oh my, at the end of the year, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe the season's over. It's kind of, you know, I want to watch more of this team. I think another year of that would be productive. I think an important thing for the ownership is, one, they need to invest in the good, a good game day uh, experience. I think they've improved. I think, obviously, my dad isn't a huge fan of the bands, and some of the bands weren't. You know the fantastic. It doesn't but, help that the acoustics in that arena. Yeah, but it wasn't a bad idea. Worse. Those were not a bad idea. I actually did think the overall game day experience improved. I um, think the the arena could use some updating. Too. That's what I. Mm-hmm. That's my other main thing is that the uh, the ownership needs to spend money into renovating key banking and making it a better again game day experience for fans. Keep right. know, investing that. Also, when this team hopefully has another positive year and now is ready to start taking the jump, spend some money. You know, I don't want to see a team that, even when they become good, is like, actually, we're going to spend $10 million under the cap so we can make a profit. You know, that's you know that's what got the mid-2000s Sabres in trouble, yeah. that they had a cheap owner, and that's why they couldn't sign those, you know, when those players, when your players that you developed 
hit the market. They want to get paid. And when you're not willing to pay them because you are cheap, uh, that is really unfortunate. Right. And that, it's a huge turnoff to the fans. Yeah, and I think, honestly, one thing I said was, which leads us into what's on, next on the docket, and finally on the docket, um, you need, you, Rick Jenneret had a special evening where his banner was raised into the, the, the ceiling, you know, the stratosphere. Ryan Miller, when they, you know, the season starts, I know it's like news now, they should make an, an event out of it. People, No, that'll be a solid game for sure. Yeah. He was very important to this team. I mean, we had Hashik, who was, I think, the greatest goaltender ever play. Right. And then we had, you know, we go right into pretty much Ryan Miller. So Perron mm-hmm. was good, too. For yeah, but... I have a Miller bobblehead from the early 2000s. Yeah, but, I mean, like, we were, we were pretty blessed to have two great goaltenders. If only we could have them now. Yeah, like, just overall, he was so... He was very important to Buffalo. I know the ending probably wasn't the best, right. but... Overall, like he was very important to this team, and it's well deserved that his number thirty is re- getting retired. Oh, absolutely. Well, I think what's important of Miller, and I think this shows when you're talking about also how do you get the fans more involved, is when you have guys that seem to be very nice human beings and also solid players. It also helps. Like Alex Tuck, seems like a very genuine nice guy. Yeah. Kyle Poso, Dylan Cousins, those guys seem like they're generally nice people. They root for each other and all that stuff. Jack Eichel, honest to God, never felt like that. Yeah, he did some he did some nice things in the community, so I won't completely bash him. But he always kind of, you know, his behavior always seemed like he was kind of a, you know a jerk. Arrogant. Uh, Reinhardt had a little bit of that. Ristolainen had a little bit. So when your core players are guys that aren't necessarily like great people, so it makes it a little bit less fun to root for them. Mm-hmm. That impacts the fans at the end of the day. So now when you're building this core and you're having very likable players, it's easy to root for a likable player. I mean, it's a simple fact. Like, it's easy to root for a likable player. So, right. Um, again, Miller shows that, and hopefully they can get more of that. But Miller, I just got to say, sorry, Aaron Dell, man. Can't wear number 30 anymore. <laughs> he's going to he's gonna have to figure out a new number to wear. <laughs> no, um, yeah, he got he got uh, chastised for that one. <laughs> I think Ryan Miller, Ryan Miller always holds a special like place in my heart because he was my first Sabres jersey. He, mine too. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just the oddball here. I guess so, yeah. I had Jason Palmerville. Uh, okay. Oh, that's not no, a bad one at all, though. Yeah, no. Well, anyone from that, it's funny now, anyone from that era, you could say, oh, my first jersey was Palmerville, my first jersey was Vanek. Or any guy from that era... Now people are, you know, fortunate from this generation are going to say, yeah, my first jersey, Jack Eichel, Rasmus Stalin, Sam Reinhardt, yeah. Sam Diskergrinsons. You know, so it's a little unfortunate. But again, holds a little place in my heart. Obviously, it was surprising to understand that he has the most games started as a goalie, most saves, and most wins in franchise history. Obviously, Hashik, you just kind of would assume would have those marks. Because uh, he did, I mean, he did play for a considerable mark, amount of time as well. So you'd assume he would have those, but he doesn't. Again, wished uh, wish they could have won the Stanley Cup with uh, him behind the net. Both should've, of them, honestly. Should have been Both of them had shots. Should have been 06. 2006, man. Yeah, that was the year to do it, and didn't happen. So and that was. I mean, I, you got to respect Ryan Miller, fifth-round pick out of Michigan State in 1999, is the all-time leader in wins for an American goalie at 391. And, you know, Mike alluded to it. I mean, it had to be tough for him to not only have to follow in the greatest goaltender of all time shoots, but also have to compete with Marty Baron, who was a solid goaltender at the time for playing time. So... He really got to get a lot of valuable experience from Baran, and then, I mean, filling Hasek's shoes seemed probably to be an impossible task, but I think he did it very admirably, and unfortunately for him, you know, when anyone does, like, an all-time list for the Sabres, he'll never be the goaltender, it would always be Hasek. That's a little unfortunate for him, but, again, he's definitely a good guy to, you know, have his jersey retired and definitely deserves it. No, and that, 
like you said, will be a sellout game when they promote that. And more events like that, even if it's not necessarily retiring someone's number or anything along those lines. No, it's just nice to see because, you know, anytime I go, to, I go to the game, I look up in the Raptors, you know, you see the French Connection, you see right. Palafontaine, Hasek, like, those are great players, but I never got to see him play. No, like no, I saw Ryan Miller's Ryan Miller, our guy from our I childhood. saw him play live, and, like, I remember him and all that, so that's just, it's nice to see. Yeah, absolutely. A win for our generation. Oh, yeah, for sure. All right, well, that's going to do it for our Sabres topic. Another long one for the day. We'll be right back with the rundown right after this. Here at the Buffalonian Podcast, we are looking for sponsorships to take our podcast to the next level. If you are at all interested, feel free to DM us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter and let us know. Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of the show. Welcome back to the Buffalonian Podcast. We're going to give you a quick rundown on some Blue Jays and some Bisons for this past week. So we're going to start off with the Blue Jays. In the seven games after debuting on the pod, the Blue Jays are 2-5, and five, and they end up splitting the four-game home set versus the last-place Orioles. Then, the Blue Jays needed a comeback on Sunday to avoid getting swept by the visiting Yankees, my personal favorite team, by the way. I don't, I don't want to lie to you guys and say I'm a Blue Jays fan, because personally I'm not, but... They have now dropped the opening game of the road series versus the White Sox 8-7. to They finished the road series in Chicago to play the weekend series in Milwaukee. A big home series versus the Red Hot Red Sox starting Monday. Pains me to say that. The Blue Jays, after this week's disaster, are now 38-29. And the Jays are still in second place in the division, but are now a whopping 12 games back from the Yankees. And they're only one and a half games up on the Sox and two games up on the struggling Rays. Hopefully we get some better baseball from the Blue Jays to talk about the next podcast, but easily the game of the week was Sunday's 10-9 win to avoid the sweep against the Yankees. It was 8-3 Yankees going into the bottom of the sixth until Loris Gurriel Jr. hit a grand slam to cut the deficit to one. Then, in the bottom of the seventh, Teoscar Hernandez gave the Jays the lead with a three-run bomb. The Jays then held on for dear life to a 10-9 win. Moving into the Bisons, we've got... We've gotten through the bad news of the Blue Jays, but we're going to talk about some good news now with the Bisons. The Bisons won the road series in Lehigh Valley 4-2. This snaps the Bisons' two-series losing streak, and the series lifts the Bisons to first place in the division. At the record of 37-28, they lead Rochester by a half game. Interesting to see that out of the 10 teams in the division, the Bisons have scored the second-fewest runs at 292, but still have the second-best run differential at plus 25. This is because the pitching has been absolutely electric with only giving up 267 runs, which is 26 fewer than the next closest team. Good on you, pitchers. Good on you. Congrats to the pitcher, specifically Sean Anderson, for being named IL Pitcher of the Week, pitching six shutout innings and striking out 10 in a win, and also recorded a save in the series versus the Iron Pigs. The Bisons return home this week to play St. Paul Saints, who are 33-32 and and are the affiliates of the Minnesota Twins. Remember the last time the Saints played the team at the top of the division, they swept them. So be careful and be on the lookout. The highlight of the series is Wednesday's 8-4 win, where, as mentioned, Anderson pitched an absolute gem, and the bats were led by Samad Taylor's 4-4 and a walk game while also driving in two runs. And that is going to do it for the rundown for this week. We'll be right back with some trivia right after this. Here at the Buffalonian Podcast, we are looking for sponsorships to take our podcast to the next level. If you are at all interested, feel free to DM us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter and let us know. Thank you for listening and enjoy the rest of the show. All right. 
Favorite time of the podcast, boys. Time to wrap it up. Another successful episode. The longest to date. Yeah. yeah. We broke the record. We crossed the threshold of one hour, 60 minutes. Why wow. by, by quite 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 a margin. Quite a margin. <laughs> yeah, no. This will add another like minute or two, so uh, you know, let's let's just get rolling right into it. So we'll start with the Bills question. Uh when was the last year the Bills drafted a quarterback? Twenty eighteen. No. Twenty seventeen. No, you you only get one guess there, silly. Yeah. Um twenty nineteen. No, it was 2020, Jake Fromm. I Frum. knew it was 2020, oh, Jake Fromm. I thought he was 19. I messed that up. Forgot yeah. big New York Giants backup now. No, I, tried, I, got, I got Joe with the do, track. Do, do, do yeah. I get do I, the do, Josh Allen? You do Josh I get Allen. credit that I know it was a fifth-round pick? No. There's no bonus points here. You, you hate to see that. You got, you got it wrong. You know, I had the wide-up and layup, and I just I put a year. I was I thought Jake Fromm was a three-year vet. He's only a two-year. Yeah, that was, that was he's tough, only the second look. year with the Giants. Tough, tough look for myself, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, so... Uh, we'll go on to the next question, our Sabres question. Uh, when was the last time the Sabres had 50 wins in a season? 2006. Be more specific. 2007. 05. Like, say like... 6-7. Yes, oh, that's what I'm looking come for. come on. 6-7. <laughs> that was a tag team win. See, but he tried to trick you a little bit because you would think since the Sabres made the playoffs in, you know, 11-12, I think, and 10-11... You think maybe one of those years might be 50 wins, but no. No, no they sir. have 53 wins in 6-7, 52 in 5-6. They won the Presence Trophy in 6-7. Yeah, very then, successful season. Then they lost uh, in the conference finals to Ottawa, four games to one. Yeah. Lost in overtime in Buffalo. It's unfortunate. Fun overall. fact. So we'll wrap it up real quick with the Bandits question. The um, last time for a while. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> it might be the last Bandits question for a while. Uh, we'll say... Which coach has the most wins in Bandits history? This is a... I, <laughs> no, it's already a... See, yeah, see, no, no, no. The, the current... I'll, I'll give myself credit. I know the current coach is John Tavares, yep. you know, by Bandits great. Yes. I think the all-time wins is some... It's one of the guys that are retired... This just tells you how bad we know Bandits history. Is it Darius Kilgore? Yes, it is. Come on! Oh, wow. Coached 11 knew, years. I, I knew it was one of the Kilgores that retired up in... Um, I'm sorry. The, the, uh, he coached sorry 11 for, years and had 103 for, like, wins. Sorry for anyone listening to the car and just screwed off the road because I, I got a little excited there. <laughs> but that's uh, that's pretty yam. Yeah, no, 11 years, 103 wins. Maybe John Tavares could break that record. Maybe. You know, it's like he has every other record, so well, might as well get that one. We'll have to see in the upcoming seasons. Yeah, you know, he might get the axe if he can't win the big one, so. I doubt it. He's an icon. That's true. He does probably sell some tickets being the kite coach. Well, that's going to do it for this 13th episode of the Buffalonian Podcast. And, uh, Dom, how do you you always end these? Go Bills, baby. Go Bills. Bills.